Good afternoon. My name is Dave Ainsworth. I'm the pastor of Citizens. Unfortunately, we've had some technical difficulties recording sermons on Sunday, and so the sermon from March 12th wasn't recorded, but I thought I would do a shortened version for the podcast and for future resources for our church. But first, let me read John 1, 19 through 28, and then we'll talk about John the Baptist. John 1, verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, what then? Are you Elijah? He said, I am not. Are you the prophet? And he said, no. So they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? He said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees. They asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. These things took place in Bethany across the Jordan where John was baptizing. Let's pray. Dear Father, we are thankful for the figure of John the Baptist and what he teaches us about devotion to your glory, to your holiness, uh, to bearing witness to Jesus how he did not want to be important himself, but saw his importance entirely in pointing to Christ. May we be like John in our own lives as we're called to bear witness. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. So this is our third week in the Gospel of John, and we're through the prologue, where John, the author, previewed all the themes of the Gospel. Uh, Today, we meet a different John, John the Baptist. Uh, John the Baptist will be killed before Jesus is killed. And because of that, this John, the Baptist, is referred to by Jesus as the last prophet of the Old Testament. He serves as a bridge between the Old Covenant and the Law of Moses and the New Covenant in the Gospel of Jesus. In the other Gospels, we learn that John the Baptist is actually Jesus's cousin, his same age even, but he's lived away from society in the desert wilderness for many, many years, and so seemingly doesn't know Jesus very well. And at the very least, he doesn't know that Jesus, his cousin, is the Messiah. Not yet. That will be revealed to him in next week's scene. As of today, though, all John knows is that the Messiah is close, alive even, and John's been called by God to prepare Israel for the Messiah's coming. Today's passage is really about how John the Baptist is the ideal witness to Jesus. Of course, in many ways, his ministry is unrepeatable. The old covenant is done, and so there can be no more John the Baptist. But the new covenant in Christ also depends on witnesses. Witness is how God designed his kingdom to grow in advance. Salvation is by grace through faith in Christ, which means that people are saved by God through the witness of others. Why is witness so important to God? Why does the kingdom not grow through conquering? 
like the evangelism of the Spanish conquistadors? Why not through philanthropy, like Andrew Carnegie's Gospel of Money, literally wrote a book called The Gospel of Money? Why not through social advocacy, like the social gospel of so much progressivism, through revolution, like liberation theology? Why not through having babies, magic, sorcery, monastic living, having a superior philosophy or ethical instruction? None of these are God's primary means of kingdom advancement, uh, even though God has used these various things to grow his kingdom, they are not the way he desires his kingdom to be grown. So why witness? And that, I think, is because witness decenters me. By its very nature, witness points away from me to someone else. It highlights the glory of God over my own glory, his holiness over mine, his power, his love, his grace over mine. And this captures so much of the witness of John the Baptist, who so wanted to highlight God's glory, uh, who thought he was not even worthy to untie the shoe of Jesus, much less be uh, his disciple. Uh, all he could do was bear witness. The ministry of bearing witness reflects how people are reborn children of God, John 1.13, not of blood, nor of the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of the will of God. Uh, God certainly uses means, uh, but ultimately, he is the power behind kingdom growth. It's his gracious will that opens eyes and turns lost humans into children of God. A Christian's place is merely to bear witness to that power with their lives and especially with their words. In the Gospel of John, John the Baptist is presented as an ideal witness to Jesus. Our text for the next two weeks is a perfect exposition of what the author already said about John the Baptist in chapter 1, verse 8, uh, backing up to verse 6, John 1, 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. As an aside, it's really striking to me that the Apostle John spends so much time in the prologue on John the Baptist. Uh, as someone who loves theology and philosophy, who prefers ideas over action, it is kind of annoying to me, right? Like you read John 1 and it's the Mount Everest of scripture, and I'm here for the big stuff. In the beginning was the Word, the Word became flesh, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side, he has made him known. That's what I want to talk about. And next to that, who really cares about John the Baptist, right? He's the last man of the Old Covenant, like, let's move on. But the author includes him, emphasizes him even, because of how important witness is in the kingdom. Not more important than Jesus. John is not the light, and neither are we. But still, John and we are very important. The kingdom will not advance apart from faithful disciples. The church will not grow apart from you. Discipled ministry discipled witness is at the nexus between the world and the work of Christ. Witness is important, and it's easy to get wrong. And John gives two sermons on two days in John 1, 19 through 34, expounding John 1, 8, showing that he was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. And today's text, the first day, is about John being clear about who he is. And next week's text, the second day, will be about John being clear on who Jesus is. 
And this clarity is so very important for living the life God has called us to live, and in particular, bearing witness as God has called us to bear witness. We are to know what we are and what we aren't, and to know who Jesus is. John's self-knowledge is the main takeaway for today. John the Baptist here gives three I am not statements and three I am statements. The best witnesses are clear about who they are and clear about who they are not. You've got to have both. And after studying this passage, I find myself still asking myself, do I have both? Am I clear on who I'm not and who I am? And can I say it out loud if someone asks me? Uh, Frederick Bruner writes, it is very important that Jesus' disciples know who they are and who they are not and how to say so. If we are only sure of who we are not, we can suffer from an inferiority complex. If we are sure of who we are, a sense of superiority lurks. But if we can know rather clearly both who we believe we are and who we are not, happy knowledge indeed. I love that phrase, happy knowledge. We feel good when we're working in a space where we know who we're supposed to be and who we're not supposed to be. It's a good place to be. It's happy knowledge. The work might still be hard. You'll still run into thorns and roadblocks, but there's not an existential crisis constantly hanging over your head. You aren't fighting off an imposter syndrome the whole time, but you also aren't trying in vain to be more than you should be. This clarity is vital for the disciple. It's vital for the witness. And then if you can articulate that purpose to someone even better, that's how God wants you to move about his kingdom with clarity and peace and zeal. So first, the I am nots, John 1, 19 to 21. This is the witness of John when the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? And he confessed and did not deny, but confessed. And the clarity there, that threefold repetition, that's kind of awkward, where G John confesses, does not deny, but confesses. He doesn't have to think twice about who he wasn't, and he wasn't embarrassed about it either. He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. Who are you? I am not Christ. I wonder if that's not also instructive that John the Baptist leads with the I am nots before he gets to the I am's. They ask him positively, who are you? But his first answer was negative. Just so we're clear, I am not Christ. It's important to know and be acquainted with your inferiority. It might be wise when thinking about your own calling to lead with who you are not. You are a creature, which means you are not the creator. You are the image of God, which means you reflect another. This knowledge is prerequisite to flourishing as a human being. If you're a Christian, you are not the Christ, but a follower of Christ. You are a child of God, which means you are not the father. We want to be acquainted with our inferiority, not so that we walk around with an inferiority complex. We're going to get to who John thinks he is in a second, and he thinks he's very important. But even then, He's just a voice and not the word voiced. Do you know what you aren't? Is that clear to you? It needs to be clear. John is not the Christ. He doesn't know about Jesus yet, but he knows he's not Jesus. And that's something we should all agree with John on. We are not the Christ for ourselves or anyone else. 
We are not the anointed savior of the world. We cannot redeem people from their sins. We cannot open eyes or turn hearts. We are not the light, but are sent to bear witness about the light. Offer living testimony to the power of God to redeem and renew. There's freedom in being just witnesses. It's happy knowledge. We're not called to save anyone. We're not called to build God's kingdom or change hearts. That's God's work. Our work is simply faithfulness with what God has given us, whether much or little. Messiah complexes do sneak up on us, though, in parenting and friendship and work and church life, where we think another person's flourishing depends on us. But their flourishing is not your job. We can even become our own messiahs, attempting self-salvation and self-glory. John the Baptist knew he wasn't the savior, his own or anyone else's. That's something each of us needs to say out loud regularly. I am not the Christ. Uh, the next two claims uh, were more challenging. Um, John knew he wasn't the Christ, and he also knew he wasn't Elijah or the prophet. And these are two prophecies from the Old Testament. Uh, by the end of the Old Testament, the nation of Israel was a hot mess. Salvation wasn't going to be easy, and different prophets saw the need for different figures who would help usher in Israel's restoration. And so there wasn't just one messianic vision. It was this composite image gathered uh, from various prophecies. And uh, two of those prophecies foretold were Elijah come back to life and a prophet like Moses. Um, the Hebrew Bible literally closes with the Elijah image in Malachi 4. And then Moses at the end of his life um, foretells a uh, coming of a new prophet. Uh, but John the Baptist denies both titles. Uh, he uh, says he's not Elijah and he's not Moses. This exacerbates the people questioning John. Uh, they said to him, who are you? We need to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he says, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness. Make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. John knows who he's not. So then who is he? Uh, again, knowing who you are is just as important as knowing who you're not. He's not nobody, and he doesn't pretend to be nobody. Uh, I've quoted this line in a sermon before, but it's probably one of my favorite Kendrick Lamar lyrics um, censored for the Sunday crowd. I won't fake humble just because you're insecure. It's a great line, and it's right. Uh, we should not fake humble uh, to protect people from their insecurity. Say who you're not, be humble, but say who you are too. Uh, fake humility does not honor the Lord. In fact, it dishonors him because you are denying the gifts and callings he gave you. If you're gifted for something, if you're called to something, you must learn how to say it with humility and grace, but with boldness too. You are witness to the grace and glory of God. That is your calling. Honor the Lord by embracing your calling. Know who you are and say it. John the Baptist knows that he is the voice from the prophet Isaiah. He claims for himself the fulfillment of a well-known Old Testament prophecy, Isaiah 43, a voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. That is a serious claim, which again illustrates how humility and courage can go together. So John knows he's not the word, but he's the voice clearing the way for the word. Uh, 
like a herald, getting our attention, making us stop whatever we're doing, turn our heads, ready to listen. John's ministry is not one of salvation, but preparation. He has been sent to encourage the Israelites to ready themselves for the Messiah, to make straight the way of God. How were they to do this? And that's his second I am. John is a voice. John is a baptizer. John 126, John answered them, I baptize with water. Baptism wasn't a new thing that John invented, but it was usually reserved for a new conversion when a non-ethnic Jew became Jewish. It symbolizes spiritual cleansing. What was unique about John's baptism and what riled the Jews in Jerusalem was that he encouraged already Jewish people to receive baptism. John's ministry called everyone, including the religious leadership, to repent of their sins and prepare their hearts for the Messiah. Mark 1, 4, John appeared, baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. In John's ministry, we're reminded that we need prepared hearts in order to receive Jesus. And how do we prepare? By confessing our sins and recommitting our lives to God. I particularly love the definition of faith in Hebrews 11.6. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Saving faith includes so much more detail than this definition in Hebrews 11.6. But this verse describes someone who's preparing for Jesus in their lives. They're believing that God exists and that he is good to those who seek him. And so they begin seeking him. And confession flattens the path for when Jesus finally comes. All of our hearts have so much junk built up, places of pride, places of shame, doubts, mistrust, idolatry, sin, habits that stand in the way of faith and obscure Jesus's way. And we need someone to help us, to encourage us, to challenge us, to clear the way. Even if you're already a Christian, Jesus will later tell Peter when he washes the disciples' feet, you don't need your whole body washed again, but your feet are dusty. Uh, you need to wash your feet before you're ready to sit and dine with me. Or better yet, Jesus needs to wash your feet. And John reminds us that sometimes we need a preliminary grace to visit us before we receive the greater grace of Jesus. But of course, the preliminary grace of water baptism is not enough. John is not enough, and John knows that. So in verse 26, he continues, John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know, even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. The third I am is really a return to the I am nots. John is unworthy. He's just a voice, not the word. He's just a witness, not the light. His baptism is only water, but we need fire. Not only is John not the Christ, he is unworthy of Christ, unworthy to even untie his sandal. In this culture, the most demeaning jobs were those associated with feet, washing the feet, carrying sandals, untying sandals. To do such work was to be a slave. Interestingly, ancient Jewish teachers like John and Jesus usually expected disciples to function as servants or slaves, with one caveat, 
Unlike slaves, disciples were not to tend to the teacher's sandals. That was too low a task. Teachers should not ask their disciples to uh, untie their sandals. But John is saying here that I couldn't even do that. That's how much lower he is than Christ. In his own sense of calling and identity, John both begins with inferiority and ends with inferiority. But it's an inferiority that celebrates grace. Because while John wasn't worthy to even untie the Messiah's sandals, he had actually been tasked with a much bigger job, preparing the way for his coming. If he wasn't worthy to carry his shoes, surely he wasn't worried to do this. But there he was, living out God's call. And that's how Christian discipleship works. We're unworthy to do anything in God's kingdom. But even so, we're each called to do great things anyway, to image God, to bear witness to Christ, to be the very body of Christ, to be indwelt by the Spirit. The Apostle John would later write, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. From beginning to end, the kingdom of God is marked by grace, given, received, and given back again. The ideal witness in the kingdom is someone who knows both who he is and who he's not. Do you know who you are? Do you know who you are not? Are there ways you are trying to fill a role that isn't yours? Are there ways you are avoiding the role God has given you? To know both things about yourself and to be able to articulate them to others is happy knowledge, and we should strive for such knowledge. It struck me for the first time this week how John the Baptist's statement about being unworthy to untie Jesus' sandals connects with Jesus' later act in the book of John of washing the disciples' feet. I'd never seen that before. Here, John the Baptist is unworthy to be Jesus' slave, but then Jesus comes, invites his disciples to dinner, and becomes their slave. What is happening? How can that be? Philippians 2 explains this marvel. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Like John the Baptist, the Son of God knew who he was. The Son of God knew he was God. But unlike John, Jesus became what he wasn't so that he could do what we could not do. Because he was sinless, he paid for sin. Because he was God, he defeated death all on our behalf. That is the glory John prepared people for, the glory of God's love. And that is the glory we bear witness to, the glory of grace. That's the happy knowledge we're after, the knowledge we give our lives to share. Not anything we do, but that which is done on our behalf. Not that we love, but that we are loved. May we too be ideal witnesses to the glory of God, knowing who we are, who we aren't, and who Jesus is. Let's pray.